Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two of our discussion on pancreatic cancer. And I mentioned last time, or I, the last thing I mentioned was about cinematic rendering. Now, in part one of this talk, I showed you a lot of images, how we're looking at the texture mapping from cinematic rendering to help us detect tumors, to help us classify tumors, and then creating the vascular map to help us stage tumors. So there are many things you can do. There's a good article by Linda Chu on this, or at least some of our initial work. And of course, the big thing is when you're looking at pancreatic cancer, the arterial mapping is critical. At the end of the day, the most common reason patients are not resectable is because of vascular involvement, be it on the arterial side or be it on the venous side. And typically, we talk about the celiac and SMA. Uh, often, at times, the hepatic artery only or maybe the GDA, but GDA involvement is not going to be a problem for resectability. GDA is always sacrificed in Whipple's procedures. SMA is common. When patients have aorta or renal artery involvement, they invariably have extensive tumor growing posteriorly, and it's not going to be an issue. The problem we always speak about with pancreatic cancer is the fact that you have very early vascular involvement, and here's just a good schematic of that. And so what I try to do is define each of the vessels, look at each of the vessels, create vascular maps of each of the vessels, determine whether the vessel is patent or it's occluded or it's narrowed, or we simply have tumor abutting the vessel. Typically, we say over 180 degrees abutment means involvement, but not always. Sometimes collateral vessels are critical. Now, I do want to caution you. In this case, you see a lot of collateral vessels around the pancreatic head, and the first thing you're going to say if there was a mass is this vessel encasement. Well, in a sense, there is. When you look more carefully at this case, you see that the patient has evidence of meet an awkward ligament syndrome with basically what appears to be occlusion of the celiac, and that's why you have a big GDA, which explains what looks like collaterals around the head of the pancreas, and you have the collateral flow to the hepatic artery through the SMA. I mention this because this is very important. You don't want to confuse it with tumor encasement of the celiac. You don't want to confuse it with malignancy, but you also want to be careful because you don't want to think of those collaterals meeting this vascular encasement. And it's important for the surgeon to know because if they do a Whipple's and sacrifice the GDA, then you may have no flow to the liver. So either they need to fix the median awkward ligament, or they need to put some sort of graft in, or they need to figure out a different plan. So it's very important to recognize those findings. And we did publish this article a number of years ago talking about median awkward ligament syndrome. The compression, good example here, you often will see a fish hook configuration with postenotic dilatation. So that's something to be aware of. And the amount of collaterals will vary. Here's just a really good example. Sometimes a big cluster, it looks like, but sometimes if you don't have IV contrast, you can be confused with calling this a mass or calling it nodes. And it's always important to mention it, but the three times that it's critical, liver transplant patients, patients where you're doing hepatic resection with GDA patency is critical, and of course, as I mentioned, Whipple's procedure. Now, it's rare for me to ever see occlusion of the celiac or the SMA. It's really the encasement we look at. And here's a nice example of the patient's SMA being infiltrated from the sagittal view or in the coronal view. I really like the sagittal views. You can see it very nicely here. The vessel is widely patent but this infiltration around the vessel. Or in this case, again, the nice encasement of the SMA. In this patient, we can see a large mass. You can see liver mets, 
but you can see nicely the celiac and SMA involvement, then the tumor is growing posteriorly, involving the left renal artery, extending on the aorta, involving the left kidney. When tumor extends posteriorly, these are the patients who usually have significant back pain and do very well uh, with celiac blocks. And you can see some ascites in that patient, but again, a large tumor. This patient will get chemotherapy, they'll get radiation therapy for symptomatic relief, but this patient will never be resectable. And you can see very nicely the renal artery, the aorta, the involvement posteriorly up to the spine, the obstruction with delayed function of the patient's left kidney, just very aggressive involvement. Of course, the patient also has liver metastasis. On the venous side of things, a good example of the portal vein and SMV. Portal veins involved, but the SMA particularly is encased and markedly narrowed. Or in this case, where you can see the SMA is encased, you also realize the portal vein SMV confluence is encased and it's gone, it's occluded. You begin to see collaterals around the stomach and colon, and here's just a really good example. We have followed the portal vein down that it's obstructed, varices to the stomach, collaterals in the peripancreatic region, basically cavernous transformation of the portal vein, multiple collaterals in and around the pancreas. And here you can see it very nicely as well with the infiltrating tumor, the decreased attenuation, which in this case translates to increased redness of the tumor in the patient's body of the pancreas. And you can see here very nicely the encasement of the patient's portal vein with occlusion of portal vein above the portal vein SMV confluence. Another example here, direct extension of tumor into the portal vein. Now I will say when I see that meniscus, usually it's due to a neuroendocrine tumor, but it can be due to adenocarcinoma, which is the case here. This really doesn't look like a neuroendocrine tumor. Usually with adenocarcinomas, you see encasement, compression, and narrowing. You can see that with neuroendocrine tumors, but direct extension with that meniscus sign is probably uh, equally common or more common. And here's just a nice view of that in the coronal view, the involvement directly into the portal vein and SMV, very nicely shown in this case. And again, the coronal views really give you a good feel in both arterial and venous phase imaging. You just kind of oblique the images to get a really good plane through the pancreas, and you can see very nicely the extent of involvement. Now, it may be a bit more subtle. Here's an example where there's portal vein and then SMV involvement. Very short segment coming off the pancreatic head, but there it is. That makes the patient unresectable. Now, it's unresectable at this point, but potentially resectable. So it's borderline. Patients will get chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and hopefully will then be eligible for surgery. So just a very nice example showing you direct extension, direct involvement. And that obviously is, is a problem, okay? Uh, the fact that tumor is necrotic, there's a lot of work being done now looking at necrosis. Is that a predictor of potential response or potential outcome? I've seen similar work in the kidney looking at necrosis as a bad sign for tumor aggressiveness that the more necrotic, the more aggressive the tumor is. Pancreatic cancer, there's still a lot of work being done looking at that. But again, look at the extension and you could see the uh, involvement of the tumor. So again, a very, very nice example shown right there again. Again, I always am careful with biopsies. I've seen many times the biopsy say adenoma, it's really neuroendocrine. I know what the pathologist says, but then I dictate what I think. 
And sometimes I dictate, like there was a case a couple of weeks ago, I said, it's probably not adenocarcinoma, though that was the prelim, and it ended up being an acinar. It just didn't look like an adenocarcinoma the way it enhanced. And Ralph Rubin, head of pathology, will tell you that 3 to 10% of pancreatic uh, biopsies are misread. Now, those are the outside reads. At Hopkins, we don't miss anything, of course. But the point is that pathology, like radiology, makes mistakes. And so if it looks like something different than the path, you've got to suggest it. How many autoimmune pancreatitis have I seen where the biopsy is suspicious malignancy? How many benign lesions have been suspicious for malignancy when they don't have enough specimen to make the call? And here's just another example showing you really nicely the portal vein, splenic vein, SMV confluence encasement. And the reality is patients like this just rarely ever become potential surgical candidates. We have done some work. Matt Weiss, when he was at Hopkins, was operating on patients with single hepatic lesions, kind of like colon cancer, if they had done well, so it's usually a year out. A patient like this with multiple metastases to the liver, that's just kind of a no-go, and that's kind of the worst-case scenario. Of course, you look at the tumor, the portal vein, SMV, splenic vein confluence is gone, extensive encasement, extensive infiltration of tumor. Or in this example, same thing, large mass, increased vascularity, vessel encasement, growing posteriorly around branches of the SMV, branches of the patient's uh, celiac. Here it is nicely, the cinematic rendering showing you the occlusion, particularly of splenic vein, the arterial involvement, the multiple collaterals, good demonstration of the liver vascular map, all very nicely shown in a range of 3D renderings. Now, one of the things also, of course, we look at is the liver. I think a challenge at times is very small lesions and, and reporting cannot detect, advise clinical correlation, some craziness. Pancreatic cancer can be a challenge because we can see METs on the resonometer. I mentioned before that I like to look at the arterial phase. If it is a MET, it likely has a perfusion change, so that becomes important. You can see in this case, there's a lesion in the dome of the liver, nicely shown with some perfusion changes present there. And once you go to venous phase, it's a little bit harder to see, uh, though you do pick up additional lesions. So you need to be careful. Now in pancreatic cancer, we talk about adjacent involvement, be it duodenum, spleen, kidney, transverse colon, stomach. Duodenum is probably the most common. Uh, the spleen is typical for tail of pancreas lesion. Isolated duodenal splenic involvement is not going to make a patient unresectable. So here's a good example of a tuber. When I talk about duodenal involvement, usually you think about second portion of duodenum where it grows in, which is common because most tumors are head of pancreas. But this is a good tuber in the tail of the pancreas. It can grow posteriorly and the patient presented with nausea and vomiting because the tumor is encasing the proximal jejunum just past the ligament of trites. And then it's obstructing the duodenum, which is obstructing the stomach, which explains the patient's nausea and vomiting. Now this patient is not going to be resectable. The tumor has spread into the mesentery. There's nodes present. And these patients often present late. It's a typical problem with tumors in the tail of the pancreas. And again, here's a nice example showing you that on the uh, cinematic rendering. So again, water is red. The tumor has a different texture, a different appearance. So again, a very nice example of a tumor tail of pancreas invading the duodenum. At first blush, you might say, well, how do I know that's not a uh, 
duodenal carcinoma or jejunal carcinoma. Sometimes it can be confusing, but again, looking at the epicenter, you're typically not going to have a problem. Another example, and I would admit this is what I marked down, could this be duodenal cancer? You see the SMA and SMV encased. The tumor involves the duodenum, but are you certain that it's coming from the duodenum or are you certain it's coming from the pancreas? The coronal views can be helpful, and the way the encasement is that's more common for pancreatic cancer, on the, particularly on the venous side, but on the arterial side as well, and the more you render, you realize you're rendering a mass of the duodenum, but it can be tricky, but I think where the epicenter is becomes very important. And you can see a very problematic case for the patient. They may need to put a percutaneous tube in, either in the duodenum proximally or in jejunum to help this patient with feeding because this is really obstructed. These are the ones you worry about giving radiation therapy because of perforation. They'll typically do chemotherapy. Now, I mentioned direct invasion. Here's a good example. I mentioned spleen, and there's direct invasion of the spleen. There's also direct invasion of the upper pole of the left kidney. Splenic involvement alone, there's no problem. When you start getting into the kidney, you know the patient's lesion is just going to be too extensive. And here you can see the infiltration by the kidney, by the spleen, extending near into the stomach. Just a very impressive mass. Now, pancreatic cancer can involve the stomach by spreading upwards, growing anteriorly. We know about stomach involvement in pancreatitis, same pathways in pancreatic cancer. When the stomach is involved, usually the patient has ascites and more advanced disease. Here, this carcinomatosis, ascites, arterial and venous involvement, splenic involvement, and this huge mass growing into the posterior wall of the stomach, nicely shown there. And here it is again in the left upper quadrant. So you can see, again, the pathways of tumor spread become critical. I do mention the presence of ascites becomes typical for malignant spread of tumor. If you have underlying cirrhosis, that may not be the case because maybe a baseline is low of ascites. You might need to tap it, but uh, typically, uh, I, when I see lots of ascites, unless there's liver failure or congestive heart failure, it's going to be malignant, as in this case, this carcinomatosis present. Um, here's a good example of where the tumor grew into the stomach, posterior gastric wall. There's an NG tube in place. This patient has widespread carcinomatosis, had abdominal pain, but then a few days later, look at the patient's posterior gastric wall. It's gone. The patient has perforation. Look at the sagittal view. You really can appreciate the perforation of the stomach, the abscess, the tumor necrosis, just the gigantic mess. Now, when we talk about pancreatic cancer, this is an older article, but I like it because it shows the th problems we still have. Liver mets when they're small is still a problem. Lesions we miss are on the surface, three millimeters, you can't call them. Vascular encasement, I think we're a lot better with 3D mapping. Adenopathy, we still have the problem. We rely on nodal size. Under 1.5, we don't worry, but a bunch of nodes, we do worry. Over 1.5 or two, we worry about malignant spread. We know with surgery, the surgeons have the sample 25 to 30 nodes. They're often tiny nodes, but sometimes big nodes are reactive and tiny nodes are malignant. So it can be a problem. So again, just to mention something I mentioned before, that timing is critical. If you have a patient whose scan is two months old, you finish therapy, you're ready to resect, get another scan, make sure everything is what needs to be. Now, what else can we talk about? Well. Where else does pancreatic cancer go? 
Well, it can go to the ovaries, and I'll just show you an example. These are Krukenberg tumors, right? There's a little bleed in there, cystic solid mass, an ovary, ascites, and carcinomatosis. Again, sometimes it can be tricky distinguishing a primary ovarian cancer from metastatic disease, but cystic with solid components is really good for metastatic disease. And if you have a patient with a known tumor this patient had, been around for a few years, is more likely going to be metastasis. So that's something to really think about. But again, it can be problematic. Now, I mentioned before the error rate in pancreatic cancer, missing the diagnosis, not finding a mass, finding a mass but not finding uh, the presence of metastasis. And again, what we do impacts on the patient's management. If there's meds, the patient's never going to be resectable. If there's only local recurrence, if the patient does really well post-chemo and radiation therapy, they may get resected. So that becomes very important. The other thing that becomes important is what potential pitfalls are there? We always like to talk about pitfalls. What are my limitations in doing pancreatic cancer? And I know you want to know those limitations, but I know you're going to have to wait five minutes. We'll be right back. Bye. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctss.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.